Okay, class. Good morning. Uh, welcome. As Pete mentioned, my name is Don Weber. I am a member of the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights. Along with my wife, Cindy, we have been members here for about 22 years, and we've been joined recently, about a year and a half ago. My mom moved in with us, so she's here today, too. You'll recognize her because she will be the only 87-year-old here with purple hair. At least I think so. At least I think so. If you're 87 here with purple hair and I didn't mention you, I apologize. You're not 87. So today we are starting, we are continuing our sermon series on suburban idols, the things in our lives that are most likely to become more important to us than God and his purposes for us. In our messages so far, we've talked about family, possessions or stuff, politics, security, status, and this past Sunday, money. Today, I'm going to be talking about our leisure time, the time we spend doing anything we don't consider work, our downtime, our fun time. Now, I've preached a lot of topics here in the past eight or nine years that I've been doing this. I've preached about money many times. I've, I've never preached on sex. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but of all the topics I've addressed all these years, I think this is the one most likely to get me tarred and feathered and driven out the door. Because in America, we really value our leisure time, don't we? We like our free time. A study by the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics last year came up with a really surprising statistic. It surprised me. I'll bet it'll surprise you. People 15 years and over in this country spend more time in leisure than we do at work. It's just slightly more, but still more. Now, this is an audience participation moment, okay? I'm going to count to three, and I want everybody to say out loud what you think is the number one leisure activity in America. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. There was a lot there, a lot there. For those of you who said TV, you win. You get a free meal after our service today. That's right. Number two is social media tie, a four-way tie between social media, playing games, socializing, and communicating. Now, there are a lot of ways to spend our free time, right? But those are the top two. Now, how about you? Would that be true of you, those top two? True-ish, maybe? Regardless of how you spend your leisure, it is the number one activity in America today. Taking it easy, relaxing. Now, those are the last statistics that I'm going to share today because the truth is the Bible has a lot more to say about the quality of our leisure than it does the quantity, though it does say a lot about quantity. It would not be a stretch at all not in the least to say that God loves relaxation. He wants us to rest. He loves it when we have fun. Early in the Bible story, God give, gave his people seven annual holidays, two of them which lasted a full week. That is 19 days off 
every year. If you don't include Sabbath, which is a 24-hour period of rest and relaxation every week. Now, in the U.S., we have 11 national holidays. I like the Bible program better. Right? These holidays include singing, dancing, relaxation, parties, communal meals, family gatherings. Some of them include prayer, worship, confession, and reflection. Now, this is God speaking to his people about one of the holidays called the Festival of Shelters. You must observe the Festival of Shelters for seven days at the end of the harvest season, after the grain has been threshed and the grapes have been pressed. This festival will be a happy time of celebrating with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, that's the church staff, with refugees, orphans, and widows from your towns. For seven days, you must celebrate this festival to honor the Lord your God at the place he chooses. For it is he who blesses you with bountiful harvests and gives you success in all your work. This festival will be a time of great joy for all. Now, does that sound like God does not want you to relax? He doesn't want you to take it easy, to have fun and enjoy yourself? Not at all. In fact, he wants us to do that one day out of every week and 19 other times each year. Relaxation and fun are good. They're good for us. In fact, all of the topics we've been discussing during this series, they're good in their proper place in our lives. In his message two weeks ago on status and comparisons, Scott Oakman described the consequences of letting these good things get out of their proper place in his definition of suburban idols. Now, I'm sure when some of you heard me say Scott Oakman, you assumed that I was going to continue our practice of giving each other, poking a little fun at each other in our messages, something we've been doing for about seven or eight years now. But I'm going to rise above that today. Because of my deep respect for Scott, and the friendship that we have built over these many years. However, <laughs> I feel like there's something I need to address this morning. Some of you may have seen a slight glow as we were worshiping here this morning. And you might have thought that that was the Holy Spirit. Chances are that was more likely the reflection of the ceiling lights off of Scott and my heads. Scott's, of course, more than mine because his is quite a bit bigger. Well, to hold that brain that could come up with this wonderful definition of suburban idols. And this is what Scott said about them. Suburban idols are anything we put ahead of God, especially when it comes to where we put our trust and from where we receive our identity. Looking especially at how these things interfere with us loving God and loving people and prevent us from changing the world with that love. Now in the Bible, God warns us about this more than any other danger we face. Just look at the first of the two Ten Commandments, the first two of the Ten Commandments. The first one, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. And the second one, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. 
You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. That's some pretty strong language, right? It's not easy for us in our time to grapple with the idea that God will not tolerate something we do. He even tells us in other places not even to make an idol or an image of him to worship, not even to do that. Now, why? Why would he be so insistent that we don't worship anything else or create something in his image? Well, one answer is that he has already created something in his image, hasn't he? He's created all of us. He's made us. The Bible says that all people are made in the image of God and created to reflect his goodness, his mercy, and his love to our families, our neighbors, our community, everyone we encounter, so that when they look at us, they say, so that's what God is like. So that's what God is really like. See, it's God's plan that through the way we talk and act, treat others, the way we think, even how we spend our free time, that everyone around us would come to the certainty that God is real, that he is good, and that he cares about them. That they would say, I know I can trust God because I can trust them. I am certain God will stand by me all the time because God's people, God's church, stand by me all the time. And I am 100% sure that God loves me because his people love me. And they've shown it to me over and over again, and they let nothing stand in their way of proving it to me. Now, clearly, the church has not always been very good at doing that, have we? We've dropped the ball a bit. And it has stood in the way of people seeing a good God in us. That's what everything in our lives that is more important than God does. That's what our idols do. They stand in our way of being everything that God has called us to be and doing everything that he has called us to do. Like Scott said, they prevent us from changing our world with his love. Anybody here think the world needs changing? Right? Desperately. The world is in desperate need of change. And when we idolize something, it stands in the way of us working together with God and each other to do it, to change this world. But how do you know if you've begun to idolize something, if something is standing in your way? One of the ways you might answer that question when it comes to your free time would be to ask yourself, how do I react when it's infringed upon? When somebody else wants that time? When something asks for me to give up my free time and do something else, especially something good? Now, let me give you an example of exactly what I mean. I'm self-employed. I own a small welding business. Now, if you've ever been self-employed, you might agree with something I say every now and then. I don't own a business. A business owns me. I know I, people shaking their heads have been self-employed. It's true. It feels that way all the time. And after a day of work, I come home. I'm completely exhausted. And what I mostly want to do is eat dinner in front of the TV 
and then go to bed. Completely veg out. That's what I want to do. Now, once a month here at River Heights, we have what we call um, Holy Spirit Night. It's on a Friday night. We get together, we sing a lot of worship songs, we hear a short message, and then usually we break into small groups and do something together. Talk, pray for each other, something like that. And some people go out afterwards at Applebee's just to hang out together. And I really like Holy Spirit Night. I found it to be very good for my soul to be together with all of you and to worship together. But the truth is, when I come home on Friday night after work, it's one of the last things I want to do. I don't want to do it. I want to do this. Right? Anybody relate to that? And even though I know I will enjoy Holy Spirit Night, I feel this resent me, resentment inside me towards no one in particular. But I get this feeling that someone will be watching. And if I don't show up, they'll know. And they will judge me for it and hold it against me somehow. This is my free time. You can't take it from me. You're trying to rob me of it. That's the feeling that stirs inside of me. No, it's nonsense. Nobody here is keeping score, right? If somebody wants to see you or me here, it's because they like us and they want to hang out with us. But the reaction I'm having tells me that I haven't put my leisure time completely in God's hands and that it sometimes might be an idol for me. So what is the reaction God wants from me when it comes to what I do with my free time? Well, the truth is, it's the same thing he's asking from all of us in every area of our lives, really. Now, here at River Heights, you will often hear us talk about and pray to receive everything that God has for us. We pray that often. Now, that's an important prayer. It acknowledges what the Bible teaches us, that every good and perfect gift comes from his hand, that he is our protector, our provider, and our rescuer, and that total forgiveness and new life is available to each of us because of the sacrifice his son Jesus made on the cross for us. That is why we pray that prayer. But we must also take time and make space in our lives to pray, and what is it you want from me, Lord? What are you asking of me? Just before his death, Moses posed this same question to the people of God, and that's us today. We read it here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. That's a great song. <laughs> There's a lot here in these verses. There's a lot more than I can unpack today. But I want to summarize this verse this way. In everything we do, everything we say, everything that we are and ever hope to be, God wants us to love him, to trust him, and to obey him for our own good. 
I want to take a closer look at trusting and obeying God because these are two very important ways that we show our love for him. Both of them, like love, are words of action, of doing. And like love, they're hard. They're hard. They take effort and they take patience, working with God and each other to grow in them over time. But they're worth it. They are well worth it. Now, there are many ways to define trusting God. Faith is another word for it, and I think of it something like this. Living our lives in a way that demonstrates that we are confident that he will care for us, protect us, and never, ever leave us. Obedience, on the other hand, that's a little tougher in our culture today. Often I think it conjures up images of someone trying to control you to assert their dominance over you with their authority and their power. Unfortunately, I'm certain that's been the experience of a lot of us here today, right? Let me give you a real-life illustration of what obeying God is truly all about. This is a photo of my recent trip to Ukraine with my friend Gary Lansdowne, a missionary, uh, we went to Ukraine in June. I don't think I have to tell you which ones are me and Gary. Right? Gary would be the American up there with hair. And a lot of it. Gary would love that I said that about him. This picture was taken this past June when we were up at a uh, position in the trenches up by the Russian border. To Gary's right, or left rather, your right, is a soldier by the name of Sasha. Now, Sasha took us all around their position, introduced us to his men, the men of his unit, and we brought them supplies like generators, MP3 Bibles, lots of junk food. They can't get junk food up there. They were really grateful for that. And we spent time, we had lunch with them, we drank coffee with them, we chatted, joked around, prayed with them. Both Gary and I consider this the best day of a very memorable trip. At one point, while Sasha was leading us across an open field, he stopped and turned to us and said, walk right behind me. Do not step to the right or to the left because there are landmines on both sides of this trail. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever said that to you, <laughs> but that is the ultimate alarm clock. It woke us up like that. Now, I had a choice to make, didn't I? I could have turned to Sasha and said, you ain't the boss of me. I paid good money to be here. That chocolate bar in your pocket, I put it there. You can't tell me what to do. And then I could have gone right on my own path. The fact that I'm standing here today tells you that's not what I did, right? I did exactly what Sasha told me to do. I set my eyes on his back and followed right in his footsteps. What do we call that? Obedience. Obedience. I obeyed him. Why did I do that? Well, for one, I knew that Sasha was not doing that, saying that, because he wanted to prove who the boss was. And I didn't listen to him because he had some need to be in control. I did it because Sasha wanted to protect me. 
There were two paths we could have taken that day. One led to life and safety, and another that risked terrible suffering, even death. And Sasha, more than anyone else, knew which path was which. So when he said, this is the safe path, this is the right way forward, I listened. I did what he told me to do without question, without hesitation, because I believed him. I believed in him. I knew he wanted what was best for me, for my own good. It's easy to think that God sits way up in heaven, weighing our good stuff against our bad stuff. And maybe, just maybe, if our good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, he'll do something nice for us. Or that it's all arbitrary. Some days he feels like being good to you, some days not so much, and you can never know which one it's going to be. But the truth is really more like this. There are two paths we can take in life. Jesus is walking down one of those paths, and he's inviting each of us to walk with him. The blessings are on that path. That path won't be easy because life isn't easy. But he will always be on that path with you no matter where it leads. And everything we look for in our idols is actually found on this path with Jesus. Belonging, security, identity, purpose, and meaning. Along with his love, his mercy, his power, and his people. All available to you all the time on the path he's calling us to and offering to guide us on. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said it like this. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags saying to them, good riddance. But there's another path, right? And like Sasha told me, Jesus is telling us all, don't take that path. Don't take that path. You will not find what you are looking for down that road. That's the path our idols want us to take, and they have nothing to offer us. Look around you today. There are a lot of people who have tried that path. I'm one of them. And I found it, and I know everyone else has, found that it doesn't lead to belonging, to security, to identity, to purpose, or meaning. Those can only be found walking the path of total trust and complete obedience to Jesus. Moses put it like this. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land God promised you. There it is. There it is, the choice we are all faced with. Will we love God, trust God, and obey God 
with everything we are, with our entire lives, or won't we? It's not an easy choice to make. It's a daily choice, not a one-time deal. It's day in and day out deciding today, yes, I will follow you. I will trust you. I will obey you. And it's not an easy path, but you don't have to do it alone. That's the good news. We have each other. In a few minutes, there's going to be people up front on both sides here to pray for you. If you're considering stepping on that path for the first time, please come forward and let them pray with you. Or if you want to dig deeper, walk further down the path of love, trust, and obedience, come up and get prayer today for any other need you might have. That's why we have each other. And Jesus promised to give us the Holy Spirit to live inside each one of us, to guide and to empower us for the journey. So that's it, church. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. What are we going to do? What's our choice? I say let's do it. Let's follow him. Let's take that path. Let's go. Let's do it. And let's see where it leads. Let's see where it leads. Let's see where he leads. I'm going to invite the worship team back up as I close us today with three tips on how to put today's message into practice. Also, the prayer team, if you could begin to make your way up front. We close each message with three simple tips. Something from the Bible to read, something to pray, and something to do. Now, we do that because those three practices, reading the Bible, praying, and putting our faith into action, are essential if we really want to change our world. Tip number one, read Deuteronomy chapter 30. Several of our verses came from that chapter today. This is a great description of the blessings that come to us when we love, trust, and obey God. <clears throat> when we choose to follow the path he is calling us to. Tip number two, ask God in prayer throughout your week what he is asking you to do. If there is something he wants from you. You might ask him, what do you want me to do or stop doing? What is it you would like me to add to my life or remove from my life? Take time to tell God that you want to follow him completely. That you want to obey him. And ask him what that would look like in your life. And then listen, pay attention to what thoughts might come to your mind. Now, our third tip is always a do. And you might think that the do is going to be do whatever comes to mind. But there's something else, something important. Tip number three, check with people you trust first. Friends, history is littered with damaged people, relationships, families, churches, who followed someone claiming that they heard from God, but didn't. Don't put yourself through that. That's a terrible path to take. No one, no one hears God clearly 100% of the time. 
And it can be very dangerous to assume that we do. Ask for help. Get help from people you trust. People with some wisdom. People you know you can count on to tell you the truth. That's why we have each other. That's why Jesus gave us the church. To help each other through. To walk our faith out together. We're going to continue now with worship, communion, and prayer. The band will dismiss us in a little bit. And the people up front are here to pray for you. I'll be right outside the double doors. Stop by and say hello on your way out. But remember, free meal, even if you didn't get the answer right on the pop quiz today. You can come eat anyway. God bless you. Have a great day.